Hello and welcome to another edition of Deeper. It's so good to be back. Um, and I hope you've missed us. I really do. So we are, uh, happy to, after a few weeks off, we're getting back into this and uh, we're looking at the book of Haggai. Uh, we start a new sermon series uh, on the book of Haggai, just two chapters over three sermons. And um, we're looking at this book as a, as a way of exploring what it means to uh, to come out of lockdown, to hear what the Lord might be saying to us about uh, kind of this new season in our life. Uh, and I think Haggai has some things to say to that. So I would encourage you to um, to read the passage now that uh, we read on Sunday. That's Haggai chapter 1. It's the whole of the chapter, uh, 15 verses. So press pause, read Haggai chapter 1, and then restart the video. So... Uh, Haggai is a fantastic little book. I've always enjoyed Haggai because here is a prophet who kind of speaks clearly uh, and to the point. He doesn't go around the houses. He doesn't use imagery and metaphor like uh, other prophets do. You don't have to try and puzzle out what he's saying. He gets to the point. Uh, and it's, it's a great little book, uh, but part of a bigger, really important story. And so uh, you've got Haggai, uh, and you can read about uh, what's happening in Haggai's time in the book of Ezra. Uh, this time last year, roughly, uh, we looked at the book of Nehemiah, which in time-wise is after Ezra. Um, and uh, Ezra is all about the rebuilding of the temple after the people of Israel have come back from exile in Babylon. Uh, and we talked a bit about that when we looked at the book of Nehemiah. And the first task they're given is to rebuild the temple. And um, both Haggai and also the following book in the Bible, Zechariah, are all about God speaking to the people at that time. And uh, it's it's interesting to read those three books together and get a sense of what was happening, get a sense of what God was saying. So all this is around about 520 BC. Um, the people of Israel were sent back from Babylon, about 50,000 people, around about uh, 16 years earlier. And uh, they were given the task of rebuilding the temple and they started really well. Uh, they laid the foundations uh, and then literally nothing happened for 14 years. I think I said two years on Sunday and I was getting some of my dates all mixed up, so forgive me. But it was actually 14 years. They laid the foundations, then nothing happened for that amount of time. Uh, and what we see in verse one here is a very clear date. Uh, we have Darius, who's the king of Babylon being mentioned. Uh, and the thing about Haggai is that uh, all his four messages are clearly dated. Uh, which is unusual in a prophetic book. Uh, and this one is dated. And it's God here starting to give a challenge to the people of Israel to restart the building of the temple. And he starts by uh, issuing a challenge to what the people had been saying. The people have been saying, it's not the right time to rebuild the temple. There are other things to do. And you can understand that. Jerusalem had been laid waste when Babylon conquered it. Uh, Jerusalem would have just been a rubble, uh, not one stone left on top of another. So they come back and they don't have to just rebuild the temple. They have to rebuild everything about the city. 
They have to rebuild all the other structures that they would need. They would have to rebuild uh, trade. They'd have to rebuild commerce. They'd have to rebuild uh, farming, all those kind of things in which a city needs to survive. It's a big task. And 50,000 people sounds like a lot of people, but that's about half the people of Southport. Um, it's, that's quite a, quite a workload for a smallish number of people. And so everything needs to be put in place. All the physical resources, the, the infrastructure, all that kind of stuff needs to be put in place. So you can kind of understand that they've been sidetracked. But 14 years, 14 years of the foundations being there in front of them and nothing happened. And God calls them out on it. He says, look, you've all been looking after your own houses. You built nice houses for yourself. And in the meantime, my house is rubble. And, and this isn't God's kind of just getting uppity about the temple not being built. This is about the people of God here making a declaration about how they are ordering their lives. That's the most important thing here. It's not simply about setting up a temple so that sacrifices can be made and uh, all the normal worship can happen. It, it's more than that. This is about priorities. This is about the people of God saying some things are more important than others. And looking after our own households is more important than looking after what God wants. And that's a big statement, isn't it? That's a huge thing to say. And uh, there's a kind of line that God says, you know, you are in your panelled houses. And uh, to be honest, it's not really clear what's meant by that. But what we do know is that that it's mentioned a couple of times with the kings of Israel that they panelled their palaces. This is probably some kind of sign of comfort and luxury and prosperity. Uh, so, the, you know, the people of God are looking after themselves well. And it could be that in the 14 years that uh, they've had without any work on the temple, the trade has started to happen again with other towns and cities and nations. And there's a growing prosperity, growing wealth. Uh, and they've all focused on that, but at the cost of putting the things of God first. They're concentrating on their own personal life projects, their own personal prosperity, and not caring about what God did. And there's a nice little contrast here with, with King Solomon, who chose not to build a palace until the house of God was built first. This is the opposite. This is the people of God saying, no, 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 we're going to look after ourselves and then we'll look after the things of God. And so Haggai, first of all, addresses the, the religious and the civic leaders of the people. But then as you see through this passage, it's almost like he's talking to the whole people. So maybe there's a little bit of crossover there that he starts with simply the leaders, but then speaks the same message to everyone. And then verses five and six, uh, Haggai begins by saying, give careful thought to your ways. And he says this phrase twice. And here it's like he's saying, look, examine your lives. Think about your priorities. Have you got them right? Make an assessment of where you are. What do you need to change? And then in those verses, we see a really interesting thing. They are clearly working hard. 
but they're not really seeing the fruit of it. They're, it. They are unfulfilled in in the things that they do. So God says, "You have planted much, much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in." Lovely description. And it's almost like they are working for themselves and they are finding it unfulfilling, unsatisfying. It is not meeting what they hoped. It's it's less than what they expected. And there's a reason for that that we'll come on to in a minute. But here is part of God just laying out before them. Look, you're living life your way. You're putting yourself first. And it's not going well, is it? You are struggling here. Things aren't quite as you expect. And then verse 7 onwards, he says again, give careful thought to your ways. And here it's like he says, right, I need you to make a change. Think about how you're living and it can't go on that way. Something needs to change. And so he tells them to restart the temple. He tells them to go up and to get, get wood and to make sure they have enough resources for the temple But then he says, uh, why has all this happened? Why are you finding things less than what you expect them to be? It's basically because they are under judgment. And we see that in that passage uh, in verses, let me just find it, uh, 10 and 11. Therefore, because of you, the heavens, that means him, God himself, have withheld the dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labour of your hands. That's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? This is God restricting their fruitfulness in terms of their work and labour. It's judgment. And it's quite clear, particularly in the book of Deuteronomy, where you see a number, well, more than a number of times, a huge number of times, really, where God says, have no other gods but me. Put me first, and then everything else you'll be blessed in. But what they're doing here is they are putting themselves first. They're reaping the consequences of that because it is they are facing the judgments of God who is withholding blessing and withholding fruitfulness in their lives and so he says look if you want to move out of this time if you want to move into something more fruitful then you need to put me first build the temple that i may take pleasure in it and be glorified the temple was a place of sacrifice and worship it was a place where people gathered and god always delights in people gathering around him and worshiping him and in that he is glorified the temple was a, a, an impressive physical structure, but it was only a symbol of God's presence with them. And, you know, that's important, isn't it? Because God says in a moment, I am with you. And the temple was always a sign of that. It was not just uh, something that was a testament to the glory of God. It was a witness to others. Because when other people came to the city, they would see the temple and know that this people ordered their lives around God himself and not around themselves. And that is not the case right now. 
They are ordering their lives around what they, they want, their ideas, their ambitions, their hopes, and not around the things of God. The temple was not just a place of worship, it was a place of witness. And that's key. And then verses 12 to 15. Haggai gives his message and then he gives another message from God and God says very simply, I am with you. So simple and yet so powerful. A number of times in our, our, our recent sermon series where we looked at uh, the people of God wandering the wilderness, the one thing that we saw that was important to them was that God was with them, with them leading the way, protecting them, guiding them. That was the thing that changed everything. The presence of God with them was key. It's exactly the same here. When God says, I am with you, he is making a profound statement about his blessing and his presence uh, being with them forever. God was there to encourage and equip and empower them for his work. And then uh, this uh, phrase here that I, I picked up quite a bit on on Sunday, where God stirs the spirit of the leaders and the whole people. God names them here. He says, you know, with uh, it's Joshua and Zerubbabel and then the whole of the remnant that were there. He stirs their spirits and then they start to build the temple. See, it's one thing to make a decision, isn't it? And they clearly make a decision here to put God first. But something else needs to happen within us that leads to action. Sometimes you can do this just by an act of willpower. But how many of you have made the decision to, to go after the things of God and yet struggled? We need the inner resources of the Holy Spirit of God to stir us up into action. And that's what seems to happen here. That God stirs his people to begin the work. And 23 days after Haggai first spoke his message, the work begins. So what does all this mean for us today? Uh, we're going to go a little bit wider and explore its application. So let's think about what this means for us. And there's just a few things I want to draw out. First and foremost, it's the obvious thing. It's the simple thing. We need to get our priorities right. We need to make sure, as I said on Sunday, we are seeking first the kingdom of God, which is the kind of the New Testament equivalent here to the people given the task of building the temple. We are given the task as the people of God to seek the kingdom of God above all other things, even at the cost of our own lives, as you'll see in the New Testament. We are meant to put everything else in second place. We are meant to seek first the things of God in our life. To put aside our own personal ambitions, our, our own agendas, our own life projects in order to go after the things of God. Sometimes those things and the things of God come together, which is fantastic, isn't it? But sometimes they are in conflict with each other. Because after all, our own personal things, the things that we would like to do and hope to do, they, they take our time, they take our money, they take our energy, all of which is then sucked out of the things of the kingdom of God. 
And there's many churches that would long to do stuff for the kingdom of God, but always struggle because of one or both two things, one of two things or both. Uh, firstly, human resources, people willing to do the work. And secondly, finance. Someone, a commentator about this passage said, uh, how often is it that Christians live in, in wonderful, comfortable houses and yet then refuse to resource the work of the kingdom? That's the challenge for us, isn't it? This is a challenge about how we use our time and our money, how we set up the priorities of our life. And we're the same Christ church. There's always things that we would like to do and things that we want to try and set up and things that we would uh, be able to step out and do. But we're reluctant to do that because at the moment there are not always enough people stepping forward and not always enough finance to make it happen. So this is a challenge to us to seek first the kingdom, to give careful thought to our ways using the, the line in that passage, to assess our lives and to think about what's the priority. Are we chasing after things that we think are urgent? Or are we going after the things that are truly important? And the thing that's truly important is the kingdom of God. But there is also now, I think, a sense of urgency about this. Uh, which is my second point. See, the people here, they are being judged for their wrong priorities. And we cannot think that we will escape that judgment as well. It might be that you're going through life and you're feeling like it's in some ways all unfulfilling. And yeah, I'm a Christian, but it's not quite working out as I expected and all those kind of feelings and thoughts. Well, it might be simply that you've not yet made God your priority. You're not yet seeking first the kingdom above all other things. And, and let's face it, you know, for all of us, we have conflicting um, pressures on our time, conflicting pressures on our finance. And the way we organize all that is to make our priorities clear and to seek first the kingdom. And not one of us, I think, have yet um, kind of got a clear idea of what it means to seek first the kingdom. It's a journey that we're on that we're trying to still work out. How do I manage the things of the kingdom and also look after my family? Well, the thing I've discovered is that God looks after your family when you seek first the kingdom. What happens if I start to, to give 10% of my income? How do I live and survive all my experiences? God always helps. Yeah, that's the, that's the incredible thing is when you seek first the kingdom, the other part of that, is Jesus saying, and all these other things, all the other things that we strive after, well, God gives them to you. But it's only by seeking first the kingdom of God. And we need to understand that even though we are a people under grace, that we still face judgment. We still face God withdrawing blessing when we are not yet doing the things that we should be doing and that's primarily putting him first in our lives. And my third point is, again, a simple one. We all need our spirits stirred. That's not just a, a heart thing. That is about a spirit.
spiritual awakening within us to realize actually this is important that we seek first the kingdom of God. It's that's not even a mental ascent. It's something that opens up. It's like a revelation within us that actually unless I step into doing the things of God, then who will do them? I wonder in those 14 years of the foundations lying dormant without anyone doing anything, how many people wandered by and thought, someone should do something about that. The leaders should get their act together. And yet God was calling every single person to do the same thing. All it would take was one person, an ordinary person, to pick up a brick, lay it on top of another one and do the same. And others would join in, I'm sure of that. But they were all so focused on their own lives, they didn't do it. None of them, even though they may have chose to be the people of God, were yet putting God first. They needed something inside of them to change. And we all need that. We need our selfishness challenged. We need our attitudes changed. We need our thinking transformed so that we can actually move into action. This is not simply when it talks about the spirit stirring the spirits of um, these people. This is not just about some kind of warm, fuzzy feeling inside. This is about something stirring within them that leads to action. And for you, as you go around town, as you engage with church, there will be things that you th- you'll see and you think, someone needs to do something about that. Guess what? God might be saying it to you. Bill Hybels called it a holy discontent that you see something that needs to be changed or needs to be done or needs to be different. And our tendency is to step back and hope that someone else steps in to do it. Because none of us want to take responsibility, especially if it all goes wrong. But God has called us to be a people who are stirred into action. And he's calling you to be that too. So let me give you some questions to reflect on, uh, either on your own or in your missional communities. So here you are, it's three very simple questions. Uh, it's great if you're part of a mission community. If you're not part of one yet, do please join one. Um, it's vital for your growth uh, and it's vital for your engagement with what we're trying to do here at Christchurch. So the first question is this, what does making God your first priority look like? What gets in the way and what helps? And that's just a little chance to reflect on, well, what, what would my life be like if God was first in every aspect of my life, in how I thought about my money and my time and my energy and my family and my career, about all of those kind of things, if God was truly first, what would change? What would be different? What would it look like? And to think about, well, what gets in the way of all of that and what helps? Second question is, and this is picking up on verses five and six, have there been times in your life that have felt fruitless or unfulfilling or unsatisfying and if so how did you get out of those times and the third question and this again is an obvious one is God stirring your spirit about something at the moment and if so what are you going to do about it I would love you to to share with others uh, about that And it might be that God is calling you to be the one who steps into action here. To not simply step back and wait for someone else to do it. This is a dangerous question. 
especially if you share it with others. But I encourage you to be strong and courageous and bold and share it and, and just say what God's staring you up about. What can you do? And maybe you'll find others who feel the same. So they're the three questions. Uh, it has been great to have you with us today. I do hope that you will join us next week. Uh, we will look at the first half of chapter two of Haggai. So until then, stay safe and goodbye.